0: Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today, we have two very special guests for you. We have Alex Sikaris, the host of the Skeptical Podcast, and my friend, Dr. Bear Paul Lando. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. How are you?
1: Great, Matt. Doing great. Good to see you, Matt. And good to meet you, Alex. This should be fun. Likewise.
0: Likewise. Yes. Going to be great. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm excited about this show. I'm um, just a uh, a note for the listeners that uh, Doctor uh, Lando is on a farm. He uses a funky satellite, so he might have a little bit of a delay. So if there's something like that and he speaks over us, we'll we'll figure it out. But we're gonna talk. We're gonna touch on a couple topics today. Talk about some coronavirus, but also. Um, the way that we're processing things and some of the challenges challenges that are coming up scientifically some of the challenges that are coming up with communities with different views and how we're just processing all this information because there's definitely an information overload there's different camps with different beliefs and we're having uh, you know essentially maybe the root of it is this divide and conquer and so I know you know Alex we were talking on uh, privately we gave we're, we're concerned about some of the different things. Is it, you know, is this a bureaucratic bungling? Like what's going on with the scientific method and evidence? Is this really a plan or is it something else? So the first thing I'll give over is to uh, Dr. Bear and I guess I'll ask you just with with the coronavirus, you know, we've, we've done a few shows already and as it's progressed this far, what has surprised you most about what is going on with the coronavirus from a doctor's perspective, you know, living in the woods, in the farm, having a clinician practice, you know, what surprised you most about this uh, pandemic so far?
1: The most surprising thing, I think, is the general lack of critical thought amongst the general population. Very succinct.
0: Do you want to elaborate on that? or?
1: <laughs> sure. You know, this is a a charged subject because, of course, uh, the whole topic triggers a lot of fears in all of us because we're all brought up with uh, a belief system, a very ingrained belief system, that germs are the enemy and that they cause disease. And uh, Matt, you and I uh, in the past have talked about my career in terrain medicine, bioterrain medicine, and the whole philosophy and science behind bioterrain medicine. Is that the bioterrain determines everything, and that microbes are a helpful and benign part of that process, uh, and without them, life as we know it biologically speaking would not be possible. So um, I bring to the table not so much um, you know an, an expert in research and reciting data, but I had forty plus years in bioterrain medicine where we had a very challenging practice because people would come to us from all over the world. And I saw thousands of folks over the years and they came to us typically with very, uh, you know, their diagnosis terminal and that sort of thing. And not only that, but they usually came to us as a last resort after they've been sliced, diced and bankrupted by the regular system that said, okay, you're screwed. There's nothing more we can do for you. So not only did we have to deal with the original reason why You know, they went to doctors in the first place, but also um, we had to undo a lot of the things that was done in the name of medicine that further tampered the bioterrain. And uh, I think, you know, Matt, you and I share a a common history in that we're both have a background of being jocks. And, you know, uh, as an athlete, that's actually was my avenue into medicine because I was just always exploring uh, better ways to up my game, you know, studying nutrition and all these things before they're fashionable, you know, back in the sixties. And so uh, as an athlete, you know, we have a different temperament about things. Uh, we just want to know what works. If you tell me to eat some God awful thing, I'll do it as long as it ups my game. You know, you just do what works. And, you know, I think back, uh, in both, uh, athletics and medicine, of some of the things that I've done and and some of them are a little bit embarrassing, but that's how you learn. And the same thing, you know, in present day, even though I'm post-career in medicine, trained medicine, I'm a farmer. And it's the same thing that, you know, if it doesn't grow corn, I don't need to know about it. So I'm a very practical down to earth person. I'm results oriented, but I did get a good academic background in a non-conventional way. Now I, you know, got certifications from Stanford Medical School. I went to naturopathic chiropractic college, all sorts of postdoctoral stuff that we have talked about in the past. But um, really my, my best training was from medics in Europe who were the old masters of bioterrain medicine. And uh, they really opened my eyes to, uh, you know, entirely new vistas. And I think any discussion uh, regarding bioterrain versus germ theory, which I, I think is where we're going today, uh, would really require a, just a brief history of, uh, you know, the germ theory as well as bioterrain theory. So I'll stop there, Matt. And Alex, any any thoughts you have or, or where you want to take it from here, Matt?
2: Well, I, I will jump in on the bioterrain stuff because to me, you know, I'm also an athlete. I went to scholarship on a i went to college on a football scholarship and uh i don't Seriously? know we were
0: i didn't know that we, what did yeah. you what did you play you look <laughs> you're, uh, you're a runner no I, I was a big dumb big dumb guy really but, wow you know people were sorry people now were putting, you put me
1: going i just want to talk about football now sorry I <laughs> yeah there's <Bear's ahead.
0: laughs> a football too he's a beast i'd love to see those uh oh, oh, those where, where did photos. you where did you play bear
1: <laughs> well, I played at Utah and, you know, I went to school on a football scholarship and I used to play at about 285 pounds and, but that was many lifetimes ago.
2: Oh, I hear you. You know, I was, uh, I was at Western Illinois University. So we played uh, oh, okay. at U- Utah or, you know, uh LSU one game a year at the early game when they wanted to just trounce somebody, but you know, it, it was great. And uh, I was, I was a lot bigger too, although I was the smallest guy on the offensive line, but I got away with it. But you know, we were also pumping stuff into our body that maybe we should have been a little more careful about, but, but I do think you make just an outstanding point, And I'm sure that Matt would, Matt's whole, podcast backs that up is that we were always attuned to the relationship between body and you know the the extended body if you will in terms of what chemicals were doing to it and then not not to even mention spirit but then also mention you know just attitude focus you know what your attention was and that kind of stuff but you know my experience with uh, bioterrain stuff was personal As of a few years ago, I had a heart condition and I was, you know, very, I never go to the doctor. So I didn't want to go to the doctor. And finally went, I'll try and keep it short because everyone's personal health stories are always so boring. But I go to the doctor and he goes, yeah, you know, you're going to need all these tests. So I went to another doctor. You're going to need all these tests. So I go to a complimentary doctor. Physician, you know, I was, and uh, same thing. You're gonna have to do all these tests. So I do all these tests, and he prescribes me a bunch of these black box medicines. You know, you don't want to have a stroke, do you? You know, he actually said at one point, "I love this." He well later in the story, when I refused, he thought I had filled the prescriptions and I hadn't, and I presented myself to him in a better condition, and he naturally assumed that I had taken his phony baloney medicines. And he was quite upset when I told him, no, I hadn't. I had just looked online and I had found that the the heart condition that I was having, AFib symptoms or AFib reality, uh, seemed to have a a connection with some uh, doctors in Italy had found a connection with gastrointestinal issues, God forbid, terrain kind of thing. And then I had pursued that with uh, supplements and other dietary changes. And he was not at all happy with that, not at all happy. And told me that, have I told my wife, because if my wife shows up, and says the ambulance took him away. Why didn't you make him? This is actually what this fricking complimentary (laughs) medicine guy told me. So this pales, pales in comparison, I know, to the many, many stories that that you have and you can share. But I I do have, uh, to me, what you're talking about is common sense in terms of the complexity of our biological system and how we, you know how we get into it or how we how it affects us in these ways and that's what i think is important about this discussion that we're having today is that i think we're challenged to understand science and medicine much much more broadly than we ever were and there's no chance i don't have anywhere near the medical knowledge that you have there but i still have to go and try and figure this stuff out. Just like everybody who's listening has to go and try and figure it out to the best of their ability and then make the call. And that's the same thing with, with COVID, you know, I mean, I I think, you know, like I was sharing with Matt, you know, like one small example with COVID to me, this seems like I've settled this in my mind, but the whole controversy on the masks, I think if anyone goes and looks at the research, what they'll find is, a, a, a clue to the kind of mixed message that we get And my understanding and bear, please, you're the expert, right? But I'm just telling you, I'm the kind of the layman here. That's, that's my role is the layman investigator, but that you can make the mask work in a lab. You can set up an experiment with a PEXA and you can put the guy's mask there and he can breathe and the little particles don't show up in a little Petri dish and you can go way masks work. But when you look at the, the peer-reviewed uh, studies that have been done over and over again in multiple hospitals for years and years, they find they're not efficacious. They're not efficacious in a clinical setting because you don't put the mask on right, you touch the mask, you reuse the mask, you, you, don't, you don't have gloves on, all these kind of things that just at the end of the day, from a clinical standpoint, you go – Masks aren't effective. They've never been effective for flu and uh, bacterial kind of infections. That's why all these years when you've gone to the hospital, everyone isn't mask clad. They are in the in the surgery room. But even some studies show that that isn't as effective as they think. It's more of a comforting kind of thing. So I use that, not that I know anything there, and not that anyone can't follow that path that I just said, and in 30 minutes, get to those you know, meta analysis of multiple studies that have been done to show that they're not effective. It's just that I think that's the challenge we all have now is that we got to figure that stuff out because no one's going to tell you why one guy says mask and one guy says no mask.
0: Yeah. Hey, Alex, I think you bring up a lot of good points and I, I'm going to throw like uh, the kitchen sink, so to speak, at Bear. I just going to throw a lot out of him and, and let him let him pick apart what he he wants to to re- reply to, because One of the things we were discussing was the isolation of the virus. And this morning, I got another article from my girlfriend. She sent it to me, and it says, Health Canada has no record of COVID-19 virus isolation. And there are many articles like that. So I'm looking at it. And then I go into, okay, what is a virus? And then it gets into exosome theory. And then it gets into what is the role of a virus? What does a virus actually do? And these are very interesting topics. And so I'd be curious to hear uh, Bear's point of view. And also, Alex, what you kind of um, think about the response to that. But um, one of the, so we've got, um, germ theory terrain theory that's that's one of them but one of them is saying that uh, okay the virus is is made in a lab in wuhan right so what exactly are they doing and then also if they give a virus to another person like you inject a virus into a person and it makes them sick so um so obviously viruses could make people sick if it's injected but they're there i think bear you kind of you know get what I'm trying to ask here, because there's all these different elements of a virus. How do they make you sick? Uh, How do they spread? So as my understanding that never once has an airborne virus been isolated and purified, saying that there are these airborne viruses out there waiting to get you they all come from within the body they're all measured within the body and you could also argue that those are actually exosomes and they're they're functioning as um, a part of the system that is necessary to kind of excrete certain different toxins that are going through the body so uh, there's certain parts of the year where you get the flu and you're sick that's the part of the year when your body's ready to kind of purge all these different toxins in the body and we need the body to do that to function uh, regularly so um Bear, maybe you can kind of speak on some of those things you've you've looked into or your understanding of, um, you know, if you think it came from Wuhan or what they're isolating, and do you think that they've isolated the virus in a way that satisfies what you uh, believe about viruses and understand of them?
1: Yeah, so Wuhan and all the labs uh, across the world that are concocting all sorts of Frankenstein creatures there, and that's certainly going on. There's good evidence of that. I don't know exactly what's going on there because I'm not there. Uh, I get bits and pieces like you gentlemen certainly do. Uh, But either way, I think one thing we can agree with uh, all of us is that viruses are not alive. They need to conjugate with other cellular substances and material in order to have the machinery to do anything at all. Now, um, you know, viruses to me are not a distinct entity that exists within nature. And I believe, and this is through my own clinical experience, because people would come to me very often with a diagnosis of Hep C, HIV, and, you know, uh, Epstein-Barr, and all these things that were attributed to viruses. But then when I applied bioterrain medicine, you know, that focused on the terrain, these viruses were not problematic. And also, I had a lot of evidence along the way that these things that seem to act uh, according to the conventional uh, virus theory were indeed beneficial. Uh, There's a book, um, Virus Mania, by um, Engelbrecht and Conlon, I'm probably mispronouncing their names, Uh, And they concluded, and I'm just going to throw out a few different theories of virus here, that were all based on some pretty substantial investigation. Uh, They concluded that what we can uh, attribute to virus is actually ribosomes, where actually ribosomes, if you don't know, are organelles within a cell that manufacture polypeptides between messenger and transfer, uh, you know, RNA And uh, so, but they have the distinct qualities that could fit the bill, uh, you know, of what we might confuse as virus. Um, There's another gentleman by the name of uh, Dr. Homer, who was the originator of what we call new German medicine. Now, not only did he establish um, pretty beyond the shadow of any doubt using conventional Uh, medical instrumentation, including tens of thousands of CAT scans. But he revealed that, yeah, these, uh, everything from bacteria to virus are uh, necessary symbionts in the environment that help our body get better. Uh, But also that these different uh, uh, microorganisms, including virus, are associated embryologically uh, with different tissues in the body and different brain centers in the body. And we can really go down that rabbit hole because it's quite fascinating. Uh, But with virus, he found that viruses were actually um, associated with certain tissues in the body that were under the control of the cerebral cortex. And whenever those particular tissues were involved, there would be the manufacture internally endogenous to the body of what we would consider antibodies within normal medicine. Now, antibodies—you know—kind of uh, we equate them with an immune response. But from my perspective, the immune system is an outdated model based on the—you know—the the the biology as a battlefield, and the—you know—we're trying to—you know—fight off the bad guys. When in reality, the immune system, I think, would be better. Uh, viewed as a um, part of a self-maintaining, self-correcting mechanism, which all biological systems are. So these antibodies are not there trying to get the bad guys. And I mentioned antibodies here too uh, because a lot of viral uh, tests are indirect tests about antibodies that they then theoretically link up to certain virus, con- uh, you know, related conditions. But antibodies actually. Uh, Are responsible for wound healing in the body. And the presence of antibodies, if you want to do an antibody test to reveal the presence of like HIV or something, all that proves is that there's an antibody and it doesn't prove anything else. So, um, you know, uh, antibodies are another thing that could be confused under an electron light microscope imaging or, or under PCR test or, or, any of the like, uh, confused with virus. So we've got ribosomes, we've got uh, antibodies, and now we have, um, exosomes and endosomes. And we could describe exactly how that works. And without elaborating too much though, uh, a while, you know, years ago when I was really, um, involved in stem cell research, I found that these exosomes were responsible for uh, uh, secreting certain cytokines, interleukins, it would trigger communication and signaling mechanisms and stem cell production in the body. And again, they kind of fit the description of virus. And so the other thing I'll mention is I had little in-house lab tests that I did that uh, I would always look at very particularly because it revealed the presence of what I call cell debris. And cell debris were always attributed, you know, when the titers were, uh, you know, abnormally high, always attributed to uh, processes in the body that, uh, you know, were revealing premature aging or some other kind of inflammatory or degenerative process. And those cell debris again, if we elaborate, it could very easily be confused with our classic definition of virus. So when I um, designed bioterrain programs to help people based on these findings, they all became very helpful. And when you uh, uh, treated the terrain and weren't so concerned about fighting a virus, people more often than not got better, and then these titers of antibodies or whatever we're testing always went down greatly in number. And then the PCR test, and and Alex, sorry, I'll come up for air, and I really want to hear your thoughts. The PCR test is doing nothing but amplifying um, segments of DNA, and then it also amplifies... uh, uh, genetic materials that in the process, is like synthesizing new genetic material. And then often that synthetic uh, you know, um, process is confused with what we consider a virus. And that's in fact, the main uh, test that we're using now with the COVID situation and uh, what's his name, Mullins or Mullis uh, he was uh, correct me if that 's not the right name of the person that originated the PCR test, yeah, but Carrie he Mullis. admonished us from the start, never you know used that as a diagnostic test so um, that 's just some thoughts i 'll get out on the table first, uh, and, and I want you guys to respond and uh, i 'm here to learn like like the you know you two gentlemen and our audience as well, and you know in the practice of sports or bioterrain medicine or farming, all the things that i 've been involved with. Uh, i 'll change my mind in a second if I find something that works better or that if uh, something I find out that i 've been doing is you know crazy wrong so uh thanks
0: that 's great bear I'll let i 'll let Alex jump in uh, My understanding that is uh, uh, of that is rudimentary so uh, i 've got a couple comments but i 'll let Alex chime in okay
2: fantastic and if I can, and this might be helpful, <laughs> it might really throw people. But I'm going to come at this from a completely different angle. But I, I do think, you know, from uh, can you let me share my screen?
0: Uh, I think so. Let me see if I can award you the power here.
2: Award me the power.
0: Okay. But, uh, I think it, I got to let you make, I think I got to let, I'm going to make you the host and that should give you the power. So enjoy, use it wisely. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, what I was going to say is, you know, sometimes it really helps to kind of come at things from a completely different angle, but especially with the lead-in that we've done, even the pre-interview role, I mean, we, the three of us are really coming at this in a lot of ways from a similar perspective and a perspective that really is different than a lot of normies have in terms of we are thinking uh, alternatively and we are open to a lot of different ideas and we're exposing ourselves to that. And I, I, you know, what bear is saying there, a lot of that stuff makes a lot of sense, but then I'm going to process it from a different perspective. So just really quickly, you know, the skeptical thing that I do, I've used tried to use science to understand spirituality really, and to understand the claim of science regarding consciousness was primarily my move into this. So, you know, people like Rupert Sheldrick, who's a Cambridge biologist, but thinks that there is a morphogenetic field that is somehow have an explanatory power in terms of why these synchronistic kind of things seem to happen outside of the way we measure them. I'm very open to that because I think his evidence is just overwhelming. Similarly, and this is a long way around the barn, but I'm going to get there. You know, this guy I thought was fantastic a guy named Dr. Henry Bauer, who the headline on this one was UN says African American women 20 times more likely for HIV/AIDS. Are they racist or just stupid? And the point is, what Dr. Bauer did, and this is completely in line with what Bear is saying, is if you take the UN's own data about the relationship between HIV and AIDS, it doesn't make any sense. From a purely demographic standpoint, it doesn't make any sense. And then I've also looked extensively at near-death experience, science, medical professionals who have studied it and researched it. And again, there's kind of a space shot thing in terms of the relationship between consciousness and who we are. All that is to say that I am out there on a limb with you guys, but I'm constantly coming back to what makes good science, you know, and even though a lot of the science I'm running into is bad science, like Rupert Sheldrick, Cambridge, he's got all the credentials, he's published in Nature, and he does a presentation, and the guy literally turns his back on the screen and says, I wouldn't believe it, even if it was true. And I think we all have this experience with science is dogmatic to a point where they just cannot be trusted but here's the thing about COVID here's the thing that gets me about the we've never isolated the virus and again guys I'm not coming at it at the detail level that Bear is and I respect his his knowledge trumps me on that but it this doesn't look like a science scam in the way that I've generally run across him when I look at nature, in 2016, this guy, the same guy in uh, Saskatchewan, in Canada, who claims to have isolated the virus and is helping develop a vaccine, in 2016, he's isolated the virus in a, a similar virus in camels, right? He spent his whole career since his since graduating from University of Winnipeg and being one of the most highly respected virologists in the world, he spent all the time on this. So if, if you look at him, if you look at the guys in um, all around the world, you know, South Korea, Taiwan, scientists throughout the United States, they all claim to have isolated the virus. But here's the other proof of that. And again, this is kind of, again, coming at it from another angle. We all, if we didn't watch the debate, because no one could stand to watch the debate, it, we could at least hear the headlines from the debate last night. And one of the headlines is, you know, Trump comes out there and says, yeah, we're going to have a virus. Hey, hey, stop that. We're going to have a virus any day now, you know, kind of thing. And he, what he adds to it is this idea that Pfizer. Sorry guys, I don't know why that's playing. You probably can't hear it. Me...
0: No, I can't hear it. You got you got an oh, okay. ad. Yeah.
2: I didn't before when I was running it. So anyways, but the point the point being that he is correct when he says that Pfizer has spent billions on this. So we gave these guys billions, but they spent many more billions on their own. And I thought the next headline that came out of the debate last night is, he says, the headline from Fox Business reads, first of all, (laughs) the crazy world we live in. This is Fox Business. Why you don't find this on CNN is absolutely, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, this is what the president of the United States, whether you like him or hate him, this is what he said. This is news. COVID vaccines weeks away, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Pfizer leading the race. Here's my read on this, guys. This does not make sense in a we've never isolated the virus kind of world. It doesn't make sense economically that these companies would risk billions and billions of dollars if they didn't have a chance of Developing a vaccine that would at least trick people into thinking it's effective. They're not going to be able to come up with a complete fake vaccine. Whether you or I or anyone listening to this would line up for the vaccine, I wouldn't. But whether or not they could pass some scientific peer reviewed criteria of being effective, I think they would. And I think from economic reasons, if you look at these companies, These are companies with billions and billions of dollars in sales and hundreds of billions of dollars of market cap, except Moderna, which is basically a startup with hardly any revenue, but is Fauci's pet company that's been given billions of dollars. So my point is, when we say the virus has never been isolated, and therefore all of this needs to just be it's, it's all fantasy. It's not real in the way that we think it's real. I think it has the potential of distracting us from more interesting questions, like I just said about Moderna and the links between Bill Gates and Moderna and Fauci and Moderna and the filing that Moderna did on the SEC a year ago when they said, what if there's an accidental worldwide pandemic? You got to approve our patent because that could come and it could be a unique coronavirus. This is in their filing with the SEC. So these raise the kind of questions that I think we have to follow, but I think we're going to be hamstrung from following those questions if we're stuck in kind of a, they've never isolated the virus. Because it wouldn't make sense if they've never isolated the virus. If this guy who works on camels and now is in his lab in Saskatchewan, if he's totally fake and he's just making it all up, then this doesn't make any sense. But if this guy is legit in the sense that he's able to isolate viruses in camels, in monkeys, and bats, and he was able to isolate this virus, independent of what that means in terms of what Bear is saying, because all the Bear stuff can still be true in terms of, but in terms of him following those procedures, he was able to do it. That's the only way that, that this you know, COVID vaccine weeks away. We've spent billions because we're gonna make trillions. It's the only way that makes sense.
0: Hey Alex, I think you great you bring up a lot of great points. I'm gonna give my two cents on on that and then I'll get Bear to chime in. So my first thing is like thinking about like, does this mean that? So let's just say, even if they've isolated the virus, does that mean it's causing illness in people the way that they said it, that they say it's doing, you know what I mean? So maybe they, they isolate it and it's like, great, we've isolated it. And, we're, and then it, it's doing this to other people. Maybe they just isolated something, right? So in all of those things, are, are they correlated properly for what they're saying they're doing?
2: Let me just interject something. And then I want to let bear take the floor. Man, this is the process that I'm talking about. Shit, Matt, get Kaufman on here. I don't know why he dodged the interview, but I got into this because I interviewed David Ike about consciousness, and I have a lot of respect for David Ike, and I think he's 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 been so brave in a lot of his things. But he got totally hoodwinked by Kaufman, who Kaufman pounds the table with, you know, just like the guy we talked to yesterday, Cowan. You know, they've never isolated the virus. They've never isolated the virus. What I just said does not make, is not consistent with what Kaufman and Cowan are so adamant about, is that what you just said doesn't fit with what they said.
0: Well, it doesn't fit with what you're saying, though, but there are, there's an article right here, Health Canada has no record of COVID-19 virus isolation. Go through and read the science of how they're saying they isolated it. Articles out there exist. There's one right here you can read um, what they said they did. So it exists right now, right here, we're looking right at it. So then right. but but
2: the point is if I show you an article with the guy in the lab who says I did isolate it. So and here's exactly how I did it and here's why I here's how we injected it back into monkeys and the monkeys got sick. Now none of this it really touches any of the stuff that Bear said or any of the stuff that you said in terms of whether that really means that there is the kind of, you know, causal relationship between the virus and and illness and whether vaccines and the immune response, you know, all that stuff. I'm totally open to being, uh, uh, to be questioned and has to be questioned before you line up to get the shot. But again, you, you can put this stuff up there all day long. It doesn't counter the fact that, We have a huge economic system putting billions of dollars into the idea that, yeah, they have isolated the virus. That isn't the the question. It's all the other questions that you're asking are valid. valid. But the idea that they have not
0: isolated the virus seems like flatter science to me. Well, uh, I don't know how to respond to that. I thought I had a clear way to respond to that. But the first thing I'll say is, okay, if they isolated the virus, I would want to know how and how that constitutes it. So right now they're using the PCR test to say you are a positive. Well, we're getting a lot of false positives. So they're saying a lot of people are positive, but they're not positive. So understanding exactly how – they've isolated the virus. And in these articles, they describe the procedure of what they consider to be an isolated virus. And it looks pretty hun- like hunky dory to me. And that's what I said about like at the beginning, it does this mean that like, even without them isolating the virus, they could still go ahead with vaccines because if you go down the vaccine rabbit hole and you look at the work of Robert Kennedy jr. And all of that stuff, it just seems like a whole pile of uh, nonsense and and uh, harm and, interesting information so you know they could have been doing vaccines for years and this is this whole thing comes down to what looks like a global health mafia front for creating a worldwide vaccine since that's the initial thing the coronavirus comes out we're not going back to normal until we get a vaccine and so obviously there's there's something to that now finding those distinctions um, I think are important. So maybe bear, I don't know if you, if you know about how they isolate viruses or, you know, what their claim was, how they if, if that satisfies you and your work. And you're like, yes, they did isolate it and what it means or or what you think of all of this.
1: If that research exists, I'd be delighted to see it. I really don't have any dog in this fight in that. I just want to know what's going on. Like you gentlemen, and uh, my understanding, and again, I haven't exhausted all the research personally. That's not what I do. But my understanding so far is that it, the research hasn't obeyed Koch's basic postulates, which are what we're supposed to conform to, as far as isolating a virus in a purified form and then see if we can contaminate another host with it. Uh, I wasn't aware that that had happened. If it's happened, that would be most interesting to me. Um, So, sorry, that's all I can comment on that because that's all I know. Uh, I am a vaccine skeptic and I am because of my personal experience. I treated hundreds of cases over the years of vaccine damaged kids that were just overtly damaged by vaccines. They're fine one day and not the next day. You know, the system will deny it. But that's in fact what happened. So I'm not a big believer in the vaccination process, and also what I understand about bioterrain medicine, it isn't consistent with those principles or the philosophy of bioterrain medicine. And good medicine, you know, we talk about philosophy, and we we think that philosophy has no place in science. Well, we need philosophy, in my opinion, within science because that's the cohesive glue that's going to guide the research and investigation in the first place. So you have to have both sides of the equation. The other thing that really makes me skeptical about what's going on now is that we have certain actors that seem to be showing up at the scene of the crime that were back in the days of HIV, for instance. Another part of my past experience is I treated many, many AIDS patients who were on desk door. And most of them recovered and recovered permanently. And because of the therapy and the results, I came to the conclusion that, you know, I don't think HIV can really be genuinely linked to what we think of as a symptom of symptoms of AIDS. And in fact, one of the main components that seem to be necessary to help these people recover were to wean them off of the drugs like AZT that were given for AIDS patients. Um, and then when I look at people like Fauci that have a vested interest in all the connections, Alex, that you brilliantly you know, outlined for us, it's like, well, that's I think that's more than coincidental. And the fact that all of these tests that they have for these things uh, are all patented you know, months or even years prior mm-hmm. to the outbreak. And then let's just talk about the mask real quick. Let's just say we live in a world where we prove that these viruses exist. And then we're looking at their angstrom size, you know, relative to, say, the pores in a mask. Well, the mask <laughs> isn't really going to prevent anything from being transmitted. Uh, and and go back to AIDS. You know, if you take a uh, an alleged HIV-caused agent of AIDS and, um, you know, put on a condom. Well, the pores in the condom would be likened to putting a ping pong ball in the middle of the uh, L.A. Coliseum on the 50-yard line relative to the size of the pore and and the virus. So, you know, none of this stuff makes critical sense. And, And Alex, you know, you were, you know, kind of deferred to me and said, well, I'm the expert. And, you know, I just have my own experience. That's all I have. And I believe that uh, going back to my initial comments, the thing that's lacking here is critical thought, because with classical logic that I learned in old school education, it doesn't exist anymore. uh, You are required to have critical thought based on quadrivium, trivium logic and that sort of thing. So you could take a lay person trained in that way. And with no medical training at all, and very often they're going to come up with a more um, honest conclusion than, say, maybe an expert in any particular field. So you do, do not at all have to be an expert or be trained in a specific topic in order to ferret out the truth in anything. And And Alex, you're one of those individuals. I think you're doing a great job doing that out there. So, um, I don't know if this, uh, you know, research has been done conclusively. I haven't seen it. Uh, now that you brought my attention to it, I definitely want to delve into it. I definitely want to get together with uh, Andy behind the scenes and say, okay, what about this? And, uh, you know, we're going to have Tom Cowan on our podcast soon too. And I want to grill him about it. So this will be great fun.
0: You know, and to, to Alex's point there, um, When I interviewed uh, David Martin from Plandemic in Plandemic or Plandemic Two, which is probably what got me booted off Facebook and and maybe eventually YouTube as well, which is a huge bummer. Um, you know, he said they filed, I don't know if it was Moderna, I can't remember which one, but they patented or they filed a patent for that virus. So you must be able to isolate it in some sort of way. But Alex, to my point, when, I've, when I asked and I put it to groups, they said, oh, well, this is what they did. And so, you know, just to read a quick caption, then we can kind of move on. It says, would a same person mix a patient sample containing various sources of genetic material and never proven to contain any particular virus? virus with infected monkey, kidney cells, fetal bovine, serum, antibiotics, um, then claim that the resulting concoction is the virus isolate. And so I think one of the things that I learned from uh, Dr. Kaufman and, so, and also Kelly Brogan was that sometimes the title, um, when you go into the scientific uh, literature of it, which if I showed you there and I, and I read it, I don't know what any of that means. It's one small M, big M, sodium, words I don't understand. But I think that people with the training, possibly Bear or others, can say, hey, we all agree that this is isolated and you know, we agree scientifically across the broad spectrum of health. Or, hey, there is, a, there is an argument here, just like germ theory, terrain theory, or maybe a vaccine debate or whatever the case is. I don't know if it's across the board everybody agrees that you know that that process is satisfying uh, the scientific method, and you've- v- isolated this specific thing because even and this is, again I, I'm a layman too, looking at exosomes and the things that bear you were talking about you've looked through at viruses th- in a microscope for forty years, and is it something along the line as like a cell and then it just kind of spurts things off like right? these little these little tiny fingers keep coming out and you kind of label those different uh, based on their their proteins and different things like that so I imagine that would be pretty hard to narrow down as, you know, one thing and then causing another. Does
1: that make sense? Yeah. I was trained in a particular type of microscopy that we could visualize certain elements, but we certainly didn't have the resolution to identify virus, but we could identify things in the terrain in a blood sample, for instance, that would be indicative of the presence of certain things now we could see things uh, what we call pleomorphically developing and being extruded out of cells, uh, but those were more of a fungal bacterial level that you know are much greater uh, you know that we could pick up those elements at the resolution we we're studying and you know bioterrain medicine originated with the uh, understanding of the symbionts in the body that we could actually uh, look at and and biochemical assays and extrapolate certain understandings indirectly and then visualize them under the microscope. Um, And and we could get way off into how we do that. But virus is another more recent phenomena. And I've already outlined, you know, a few things that I think maybe could be confused with virus. But and and even if uh, this study shows that uh, somebody has, in fact, isolated this virus, I believe there's other things at play. And I'll just make a final comment. And I want to let you talk, Alex. Um, and you kind of opened the door to this anyway. Bioterrain medicine for me long ago uh, was not was no longer restricted to the biological milieu but became for me the electromagnetic terrain and all of my recent work and studies to present is about the understanding of resonance which i believe would explain much of what's behind so-called pandemics and i travel in circles now where uh and, and these circles are just brilliant people that are actually under the employ of uh, major universities and governments that are um, applying these principles in order to develop, uh, you know, communities that are a healthy habitat for people to be in and so forth. And also to uh, take care of a lot of the effects of 5G and things that are noxious waves that are affecting us all right now. So we, uh, with instrument, assistants can measure these waveforms, but more importantly, neutralize waveforms that we have identified as detrimental. And they also, from my experience, again, are those exact electrical vectors that are responsible for creating the bioterrain in the first place, including all of the um, you know, microbes that we're talking about right now. Oh, that's really
2: cool, and I'm down with a lot of that. I I don't know enough about it, but I don't stand in front of my microwave all day, so I'm not so cool on 5G. And I shut it off on my Wi-Fi, but I still have a Wi-Fi. I'm not living out there. You got it. You got a big step up on me there. Living out there on the on the range and the the homesteading thing. But I, I would just wrap it up by saying, wrap up my part that is by saying. I I really, really, really support your idea of critical thinking and that that's the problem here. And that whatever someone's critical thinking is, I I think that the other thing that, like, Matt being banned, you know, is, or uh, Colin, you know, I'm not, I I think it's Flat Earth Science, but how the hell can you ban his book from Amazon? This is unprecedented. We would not, David Icke, just off of everything. David Icke is gone because ideas are dangerous. We'll protect you. This should send off alarm bells for everybody. And I think the other thing I guess I'd add is that I think the conspiratorial slash parapolitical angle on this has to be considered and has to be elevated to the same level of uh, of science because they're playing with the science they now have the ability to control scientific studies and stuff like that we all know that they're bought and paid for you look at uh, not to get i don't want to get off topic but so here's back to topic at the same time i'm very i i don't believe because my business background that you are going to affect a bunch of different independent greedy players in the stock market, you're gonna orchestrate something where they're going to suffer billions and billions of dollars of losses so you can play your little game. It doesn't work like that. It never does. It it, it, works, more, it works more like what they did with uh, the hiding the MMR autism link, right? They were naive. They went and did it, and they said, "Yeah, we'll prove it." And the CDC went and did. It and they said, "Oh shit!" You get it in here. Start, you know, start jamming these papers into the shredder. That to me sounds like the way this shit works. And by the way, the woman who's in charge of that, we'll give you a cushy job right over here, head of our vaccine department at Big Pharma, and you'll make millions. That sounds to me like a lot of conspiracy shit that I've seen before. Not Moderna, Johnson & Johnson and Pfizer, who are competing for a trillion dollar business, all being in cahoots and pulling off and orchestrating some big fraud. And not some poor guy in Saskatchewan waking up one day and kissing his wife goodbye and saying, goodbye, honey, I'm off to commit criminal medical fraud today because that's, you know, I'm going to trash my career of the last 20 years and just completely lie about this stuff. That just doesn't ring true to me.
0: Hey, Alex, I know you got to jump off in a few minutes and, and, it's, and it's interesting because like this show kind of focused on the coronavirus stuff, but in your show, you've been looking at uh, the supernatural near-death experiences, the quantum field and, and trying to you know, like you said at the beginning, measure that with good science. So I think your big distinction in this one is isolating the virus and saying, hey, we have isolated the virus. Um, You know, I think from what I've heard, and and if you have those um, scientific studies of how they have done it, then send them because again, I'm not a doctor, I can't, I can't figure that out. Um, But I feel like We're on point with so many of the the same things of the the bigger influences of what's going on here. And I would love a future discussion with all of us about, you know, it's unfortunate. This is the discussion we have to have because of the world we're in. Normally, we're talking about how do we grow as a community? Um, My, you know, you as an athlete, we didn't know. We almost tried to leave you out of the jock. Uh, the, the, the locker room at the beginning but that's all about performance and potential and community and collaboration and that's what farming is about and I think ultimately that's what we're all about and we're just in this space right now where we're trying to figure out what the hell is going on, what is true, what is measurable, uh, what's scientific, right? And then there's this challenge of the scientific community or establishment maybe being corrupted in a way or manipulated in a certain way. And so being able to have these tough discussions, I think that um, you're you're really good at, and I think it's important to have. And I'm also excited about the possibility of – Getting through this and then re-engaging the discussion on how do we build a, a world like Atlantis? That's how I know something is wrong. There are institutions and things that don't smell right because I think – We are good, even though you did write a book, which I think is a spiritual book in my view, Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Flubbed a Big One, and the cognitive dissonance of this evil that exists. And if we can just become aware of it, shine light or awareness on it, we can put the structures in place to limit that or at least opt out and not have the influence we want on ourselves, on our families, and our communities. Let it exist, right? Let lions roam free but they're over here, so we're not going to go walk over there because we're going to get worked by a crazy animal. So, uh, yeah, so I'll let you kind of finish up because I know you have to jump off.
2: That's great. I I just think Bear hit the nail on the head for me. What I resonate with is critical thinking, you know. Awesome. Bear, do you want to?
1: The the only Yeah, the only final comment I have is that uh, science to me, I think, means something completely different than what I see practiced out there. At present, um, you know, a true empiricist simply observes impartially. I've been proven wrong many times in my past because I matched what I thought I knew with my experience and then found out that what I thought I knew wasn't correct, which allowed me to reevaluate my experience and come up with new theories on why I was experiencing certain things which in every case allowed me to elevate my experience and i believe that's what we're all here to do and um you know so rather than being emotional and reactionary which is i think more of a religious tendency i think we need to go back to the endeavor of true impartial observation
0: yeah that's a really that's a really great point and you know, what comes up for me is I think that we need to be tolerant of the other view, but also have the discussion. And I think it's the lack of discussion of the other side and presenting as an argument. You know, a lot of my friends and people that I, you know have known me for a long time, they won't just hear me out and and then they could present information to make me change my point of view that's okay it's got to be okay to have different opinions so you both learn but you also see how solid the ground is that you're on right and you know how solid is your foundation and you're both going to learn but at the end of the day i think the biggest virus is in this and if you look throughout history it's the divide and conquer and so is it possible for us within our hearts and our bodies to let somebody believe something we may know intrinsically is completely wrong, you know, and say, okay, I can still, cooperate with you but that without imposing right and i feel like that's the challenge is like you know what this guy's completely batshit crazy um but i i could still go have a tea with him right he's nuts over here with this or she's nuts over here but we're going to have a tea and we can still have a community you know i think that's where we need to get to because humans are so different they have very different experiences upbringings reasons for their belief but if we can get to that tolerance and then have an open discussion without oppressing the other and that's really the challenge is when that oppression comes in and and you must wear a mask or you must take this vaccine, or you must follow this religion or you must wear this outfit. I think that's where things get dangerous because our diversity and our wild imaginations and this wildlife of right like and if you even get into quantum physics, Alex, you know, you go into weird stuff. We don't know what's going on. Molecules disappear and re- reappear. You know, nobody knows anything. We're just We're just confused monkeys that have uh, more developed speech patterns than we used to. <laughs> anybody want to comment or should we just uh close it out
2: we'll close it out i got it uh, i, I got just one, but awesome discussion no, this, i super enjoyed it
0: yeah, yeah me too alex good alex to, see you, great okay. Getting okay. to know you
2: likewise yeah terrific guys appreciate it so much see you man have a good one
0: bye go ahead bear
1: no, that was, that was great. And uh, he seems like a great guy.
0: We're still on air. Do you want to make a final comment or should I close it out?
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, I'd love to continue this conversation. And I'd also love to do it with, um, you know, more research in light that I'm not aware of. And then uh, it would be fun to have Andy or Tom on at the same time or independently to see what they have to say in light of uh, this research, if it actually exists.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bear, it's, it's been a pleasure it always, as always. as fun. I hope, we were hoping to have Dr. Kaufman on, but we'll get, we'll get him another time. I know he's been blowing up, but uh, I always appreciate you and, and your candor and your research. So thanks for coming on the show again. My pleasure. Make sure Oh, make sure you check out Bear's stuff, alphavedic.com. They have an amazing Telegram group. Once I got booted from Facebook, they were way ahead of the game, Mike Winner. So go to Telegram. It's like it's t.me forward slash alphavedic. It's all over there. Go to alphavedic. You'll find it all. But uh, thanks, Bear. Great to see you. Thanks, Matt. See you guys.